thanks for tuning in to this first episode of the Free Radicals podcast. My name is Will Lowen. I'm Robin. Hi. Uh, this first season is uh, the story of the Anabaptist Kingdom of Munster. I've just uh, returned from a trip there and I'm looking forward to telling you the story and I've invited Robin along to be a part of it with us, to point things out that I might be missing, to ask questions along the way. And uh, we're excited about this season. Very excited. So let's, uh, let's get down into the story. There are a lot of different ways that we could tell this story of the Anabaptist Kingdom of Munster, but I'm going to start in 1525. And in those days in Munster, there were convents and uh, monasteries, and there's one called Niesink. Mm. Um, anyways, this was the home of nuns, and it was where they lived and prayed and worked and all of the things. Nuns were respected for their devotion to God, for their charity work, uh, for serving the poor, for their commitment to live in poverty, chastity, simplicity. And it wasn't like these were just like women from from far away. Uh, these were women of the community. Um, your sister might be a nun, your daughter, mm -hmm. your ex-girlfriend. Uh, so for a long list of reasons, mm -hmm. uh, the people of the community saw it as their duty, especially for the men, to protect the nuns. Mm -hmm. uh, so then what happens next is is especially strange, given that. Uh, so, first of all, there's a carnival in 1525 on Shrove Tuesday. And, and during the festivities, there's this huge mob of people. And they, they have this coordinated uh, attack, is maybe a strong word, but a coordinated attack on all of the religious houses, some of the churches, but the monasteries and the convents. And they, they break in, they make a ruckus, they interrupt the religious services, and they demand to be fed. They're asking for soup, mostly. It's a nuisance. It's a disturbance. People are angry. The good people of Munster shouldn't have to put up with this. And then uh, the authorities do a uh, investigation. They figure out who the ringleaders are, and they kick the ringleaders out of Munster. Problem solved. Okay. They think. Um, but that wasn't the end. A few months later, there's there's a group of three men, and they. Uh, they break into the Nisink convent. They they aren't just like thugs. This isn't. They're not doing this for the sake of violence. They're breaking in, but it's it's planned. They're they're watching. They're seeing. What are the schedules? What's what are mm -hmm. the activities? When do the leaders go from one place to the other? So they break in at a time when nobody's supposed to be moving around. Mm -hmm. But they didn't account on uh, the servants. So they're in, they're about mm -hmm. to do their thing, and the servant sees them, recognizes them, mm -hmm. and there's kind of this tense moment, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And she's quick, the servant is quick on her feet, and she says, hey, how would I give you guys each a beer, and mm -hmm. we'll just let this all go. Okay. So they take her up on her offer, she brings them a beer, there's beer at the, at the convent, they each get a beer, and they leave. Of course, she reports it, and it goes to the city hall, and the authorities get together, and they're going to go and uh, arrest the people who did this. So, they did a bit of an investigation later on. We'll, we'll get to what happens next, uh, but I'm going to give you a bit of a quiz. 
uh, pop quiz. <laughs> okay. So you get to guess. Um, so the authorities asked the people why they did it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a multiple choice. Um, was it A, uh, you have to kind of guess their, their motivations. Was it A, they wanted revenge because they thought the nuns were stealing business from them? Uh, B, they were poor and they were going to sell the stolen goods for money. Uh, C, they planned to take advantage of the vulnerable nuns uh, perversely. Or, or D, the burglars were Protestants and were punishing the nuns for their bad Catholic beliefs. What do you think? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, D? So the answer is A, oh, okay. surprisingly. Which, which one was A again? Uh, so... The, the men were jealous and angry about how the nuns were selling their products in the market and making it hard for the artisans, which these men were, oh. um, to make money in an honorable way. Oh. So the authorities were getting ready to arrest the burglars. But what happened was they were met on the front steps of the city hall by members of the guild that these men belong to. And a guild is a kind of a mm. professional association of artisans. And uh, the leaders of the guild told the authorities, one, there's going to be no arrest. Mm. Nobody's going to jail. Two, you need to confiscate all the equipment from the, from the nuns because this is oh. a big problem. We can't put up with this anymore. Okay. Uh, so the authorities, they say, hey, listen, uh, we didn't know things were this bad. Uh, we're not going to arrest anybody, um, and we'll ha- give us some time to figure out a plan. Okay. So, they didn't exactly figure out a plan to the liking of the guild, but nobody was arrested. Mm-hmm. And it's strange because 10 years earlier, they would have been arrested mm. and shamed and lost their guild licenses and whatever. 10 years later, the same thing. Okay. But in 1525, it was fine. Okay. So it's uh, there's just the right set of circumstances at that time that the guild leaders are protective and the city leaders mm. understand the dynamics and uh, and relent. And the the person responsible for those background forces is a guy named Martin Luther. So you grew up in the church, not the same one as me. What do you know about Martin Luther? What have you heard of him before? Um, okay, so um, uh, Martin Luther is nailed some stuff on a doorway. That's the story, yeah. And um, and then is that when people became Lutherans or something? That's where okay. the Lutherans come from. Very good. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Okay, so I could fill a dozen episodes just talking about Martin Luther. Um, There are hot takes about his life and legacy, the good and the bad that he did. Um, But I'll try to convey the relevant information as it relates to Munster. So what we need to know about Martin Luther is that he was an intense person. And I think you'll see the intensity of his personality that comes out in this story. Hmm. Um, So his family had money, but it was new money. Mm -hmm. Um, not long before this money was kind of hereditary it's rich families were Mm -hmm. always rich Martin Luther's father had made some money in the mining industry Mm -hmm. and he knew that the best way to keep money in uh, in the business in the family was to have a lawyer on staff he didn't have a lawyer but he had a smart 
hardworking son, mm -hmm. and he thought he's going to send his son Martin into university to become a lawyer. So he does. Martin Luther goes off and he starts to study to become a lawyer. Interesting. And he does well because he's an intense person. He studies hard mm -hmm. and he applies himself and it, he's on track to become a good, successful, ambitious lawyer. Okay. But then an interesting thing happens. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther is walking uh, on campus somewhere and uh, <clears throat> he's, it's remote enough uh, that uh, he suddenly, uh, suddenly there's a thunderstorm. And Martin Luther, for some reason, fully believes he's going to die. Because okay. the storm is that intense. Okay. Or he's that intense. Yeah. One of the two. So in his desperation, he cries out to St. Anne, who is the patron saint of, of minors. Okay. <laughs> that's his family. Okay. And uh, he prays, he says, Saint Anne, save me and I will become a monk. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, he's that intense, right? Now, okay. most people would, you know, realize it was just a storm, let it go. But some combination of God's grace, um, natural mm. forces, whatever, the storm relents. Mm -hmm. And Martin Luther survives. Wow. And he makes good on his promise. The next day he no enrolls way. at the monastery. Okay. I wonder if he was like convicted or something for a while before that. Like, Yeah. So we'll see part of that. Okay. So he, he enrolls in the monastery. And in the mon monastic life, uh, there are routines and rituals based around prayer, contemplation, mm. and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and confession. And, uh, and his confessor, the, the priest that he's confessing to, uh, would later say that Martin Luther never had anything interesting to confess <laughs> about. But he was constantly there. Oh, funny. Right? It's just, there's some people, some people <laughs> work so that funny. way, right? Yeah. That they just have <laughs> such heavy consciences. So he's constantly reading, constantly praying, but feeling convicted like wow. he's not good That's enough. actually sad, but okay. It's a little bit sad. Yeah. But it is kind of the, that's the religious impulse. Yeah. Huh. So um, this is the pattern that he's dealing with until uh, he writes later on uh, that he looks, uh, he's, he's reading through the scriptures and he finds a verse in Romans chapter 1 that says, The righteous shall live by faith. And then he, in, in that moment, he realizes he's not living by faith. He's living by the law. And his actions by the law are never good enough because they can't be good enough. At some point, you have to live by faith, and he hadn't been doing that. Mm -hmm. So, Interesting. He's, a, he's a new man after this okay um and he had been doing well as as a monk he'd also enrolled as a student and uh he's studying he's studying the languages he's studying the scriptures and he also starts uh working as a professor and he's a popular professor uh because he he grew up among minors uh trading stories over beers mm -hmm. among hard-working blue-collar people he talks like a miner, mm -hmm. and he relates to people like miners relate to each other. 
So the students love the guy. And he starts working as a priest as well. And he's a popular preacher. Everybody wants to hear him speak. He's relatable. He's fun. But he's also kind of been rejuvenated, reborn after this mm. kind of discovery. Mm. But because he's so relatable, people open up to him. Mm-hmm. And um, they talk to him about, uh, you know, not just about how much they like his teaching, uh, but they also talk to him about the frustrations that they have with the church. Yeah. And uh, it builds, there's kind of a list building in his mind. Around this time, the Roman Catholic Church starts selling indulgences. Mm. So their understanding, the way that they justified this, was uh, they said, like, when, when we die, we're not quite good enough to get into heaven. So then, in their understanding, we go to purgatory, and in purgatory, we're cleansed somehow, and then eventually we get to go into heaven. Okay. Um, but some people... When they die, they get they go straight to heaven because they're so good. Right. And of course, when Jesus died, he like he had extra merit, uh-huh. right? So with the saints that had died, the popes that had died, when Jesus died, there's extra merit. There are just people that had extra they oh didn't need. Um, and Jesus had empowered the church to bind and loose and oh. to do all those things. So the church understood that. That that extra merit, that treasury of merit, it was called, could be used for church purposes. Uh-huh. So um, they thought, hey, we can, uh, if if people have like loved ones in purgatory, we can use that merit to bump them into heaven. Okay. Um, or if somebody is feeling guilty about some sin they've committed, they can mm. be forgiven from this treasury of merit. Mm. Now, it would be nice <laughs> if they just distributed this treasury of merit based on need and concern uh-huh. and spiritual worthiness. But they sold the treasury mm. of merit to the highest bidder. Mm. Um, and just conveniently, uh, the church was, the Catholics were building a new basilica in Rome. Mm. It's still there, the one with all the fancy paintings mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm. But they needed to borrow a bunch of money to do that. So um, there's a whole complex political financial network. Um, So the guy that lent them the money was given permission to sell indulgences. Uh So on all of these indulgences, there's the name of the guy who funded the thing. So um, Martin Luther is kind of watching this. He's upset about this. He doesn't like it. And there's just kind of this growing long list of, of concerns that he has. So he strings them together. He writes them down. And as legend has it, he nails it to the door of the church and says they're going to be a debate. So uh, those documents survive, and I've printed some of them off for you. So oh, okay. just for our collective benefit, I wonder if you could read. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first I want you to read the introduction to the letter. So I mentioned, yep, so there's, um, there's a... <clears throat> The uh, this guy they're written to his name, his name is on the indulgences. Ah. So if you can read that uh, opening paragraph, it's a little bit flowery Indeed. and formal, but uh, right. go ahead. Sure. To the most reverend Father in Christ and most illustrious Lord Albrecht of Magdeburg, 
and Mainz, Archbishop and Primate of the Church, Margrave of Brandenburg, etc., his own Lord and Pastor in Christ, worthy of reverence and fear and most gracious. This is These aren't the words of an angry man, right? There's an intensity of his words, but intensely polite well, and complimentary, unless it's like sarcastic. The next pages are the 95 Theses. Oh, wow. So can you read the sure. first one? Yeah. Uh, maybe the first three that are kind of collected together. All right. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Number one, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said, Poentiantium agite. So that's uh, Latin, which means uh, repent, as, as kind of an imperative. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When he said repent, will that the whole life of believers should be repentance. Number two, this word cannot be understood to mean sacramental penance, i.e. confession and satisfaction, which is administered by the priests. Three, Yet it means not inward repentance only. Nay, there is no inward repentance which does not outwardly work diverse mortifications of the flesh. Right. So this is a good example of, of Martin Luther's thought. It's not about indulgences yet. Yeah. Um, directly. Right. He's He wants all Christians to, to live a life of repentance, mm -hmm. ongoing repentance, mm -hmm. inward repentance. Sort of like the intense monk that uh, that had the conversion experience. But point two um, says the repentance has to be more than a transactional thing, mm -hmm. right? Within the church, there's a transactional repentance, which can be going to the confession booth or making donations, buying indulgences. That can't be enough. Yeah. Right. So, so Martin Luther isn't just trying to uh, <clears throat> challenge authority. He's wanting to rebuild the uh, mm. spiritual life of, of his people. Um, so there's a few more that I've marked. If you can uh, read the next one that mm -hmm. I've notched there. 50? Sure. Christians are to be taught that if the Pope knew the exactions of the pardon preachers, he would rather that St. Peter's Church should go to ashes than that it should be built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of a sheep. Yeah, so... This is either a kind of a naive belief that the Pope is is yeah. good and righteous, or it's kind of an underhanded statement about what the Pope himself should be living up to. Yeah. And depending on on uh, how you read that, it could be could be either of those. So so Martin Luther isn't entirely dismissive of the Pope at this point in his in his uh, career. He still seems to think that mm. there's there's room to, to grow here. Christians are to be taught that it would be the Pope's wish, as it is his duty, to give of his own money to very many of those from whom certain hawkers of pardons cajole money, even though the Church of St. Peter might have to be sold. Right. So it's all connected to the church that they're building. Mm. Um, and... The popes were wealth were from wealthy families for mm -hmm. sure, and and that was part of the anger that here's one of the wealthiest men in Europe mm -hmm. and he's asking for yeah. donations from from all across Europe rather than funding it himself, which Martin Luther argues in other places that he could do. All right, what else do you do you see there that I've marked? Right. Okay. Fifty six. I lied. Seventy five. To think that papal 
pardon so great that they could absolve a man even if he had committed an impossible sin and violated the mother of God this is madness okay. does that make sense to you? yeah yeah the priest should not have power over right so um, he's talking about these indulgence preachers mm-hmm. and there's a there's a famous uh, example of, of a guy who's going around he's a salesman and has the the gift and the the speaking abilities of a salesman so he's going around and he's he has this little thing that he is a little jingle that he's Mm. put together um, and it translates nicely into english and he says when a coin in the box Mm. rings a soul from purgatory springs (laughs) and just this like famous jingle makes a lot of money Mm. but he's going around and he's telling people just how great these things Mm. are and, and Martin Luther's like, is nobody mm. controlling or restricting yeah. what this guy says? So that's one of the things. He says, if, uh, if a man oh. were to violate the mother of God, we could yeah. forgive that man with an indulgence. Right. Um, which sets Martin Luther off. So anything else you see? Wow. Um, 81. This unbridled preaching of pardons makes it no easy matter, even for learned men, to rescue the reverence due to the Pope from slander, or even from the shrewd questionings of the laity. laity. Mm-hmm. So Martin Luther has been hearing from common people mm-hmm. and other priests. They're all grumbling. What are we supposed to do? How can we explain to people that the church is doing good when the salesman is going crazy and saying all kinds of reckless things? Yeah. There's a list of 95 things that should be debated, mm-hmm. but he's just kind of stating a fact. Like, it's hard for us to defend the church when yeah. when this is happening yeah absolutely hmm, that's interesting oh there's okay um there's a lot that, that's everything though isn't that, it? that's the last one that i've highlighted okay yeah <laughs> yeah so based on on what you read there mm-hmm. are these the writings of a respectful person or a destructive person yeah i mean obviously he's very articulate and careful and and respectful mm-hmm. um I would, I do think sometimes he's using flowery language to sort of like be like, don't, you can't think bad of me because look at all these nice words Mm -hmm. I'm saying about you. This is is not personal. I clearly completely respect you. Um, But this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. Here are all the concerns. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a a song a while ago. I put some of these to music. Okay. So we're (laughs) going to play them for the, for the podcast audience. Wow. Out of love for the divine truth and desire to bring it to light, the following propositions will be discussed at Wittenberg under the presidency of Reverend Father Martin Luther. When our Lord Christ said, repent me, he meant that the whole life holy, for believers be repentance, not just sacramental penance, for one cannot repent inward without death. So Martin Luther still has the mind of a lawyer, mm-hmm. right? And in a courtroom, 
you debate ideas until you find yeah. the truth. Even to an extent in the classroom, you can, can do that. Mm-hmm. More so now than before. Um, but Martin Luther is very much behaving as though uh, you could do that in the church. Mm. And the church leadership is saying, well, mm. we, we can't do that. He's still idealistic. Yeah, at this very point. idealistic. It's fascinating that he in, hasn't lost that. Intensely idealistic. At that age. Yeah. So later on in his writings, he will have unfriendly things to say about the Pope. Yeah. And a long list of other people. Interesting. Um, he's, he's set a framework where there can be debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he believes there needs to be debate. But mm-hmm. the church has shown no interest in the debate. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> later on, uh, Martin Luther is invited to answer for his writings. Okay. Uh, representatives from Rome mm-hmm. uh, show up and they have various writings of Martin's. So they have mm-hmm. the 95 uh, theses, various other things that he's written mm-hmm. in his work as a priest. And uh, he's invited, he's, he's called into the room and uh, they say, uh, Brother Martin, are these your writings? Mm-hmm. And they're laid out on a table. And he walks up to the table and he looks, he says, well, yeah, yeah, these are all my writings. And they say, uh, are you prepared to recant mm. of everything you have written? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he thought there was going to be a debate. Yeah. He's ready to defend his things. No. No room for defense or debate. And he says, listen, I, I need time for the, to decide. Yeah. So he goes and he prays. Yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. Um, and they reconvene the next day ask him the same questions and he famously says i cannot and i will not repent so they dismiss him and say okay well we need to talk about what's going to happen next okay so martin luther goes from there with his convoy of Mm -hmm. of german princes and uh, leaders and the Roman convoy, they go to Rome, and everybody knows, everybody in, in leadership and positions of power, they know what's going to happen. There's going to be an edict from Rome that he should be arrested and killed. Okay. Um, everybody knows wow. what's going to happen, because this is what happens when you question the church. Right. And the funny thing happens, as Martin Luther's convoy is going... He gets kidnapped. (laughs) He disappears. Nobody knows where he is. And the Roman authorities are like, well, as soon as he shows up, let (laughs) us know because he's got to answer for some stuff. Okay. Well, Martin Luther's just gone for a while, but this thing has gotten rolling, right? The whole Lutheran Mm. uh, movement, the reformation of the church has gotten started. So... Students of Martin's uh, colleagues are continuing the work. Debates Mm. are happening. But what happened was uh, the German authorities, they said, sort of got together and said, listen, this guy is uh, making us as a a whole nation rethink some stuff. Mm. The people like him. Mm. And, uh, you know, even economically, we don't like sending money to Rome. The people don't like sending money to Rome. But if Rome kills him, yeah. it's all over. Interesting. 
So Martin Luther wasn't kidnapped. He was hidden away in a castle where he started to do something else heretical. He started translating the Bible into the common language of the German people. The problem was uh, there wasn't one common German language. There were okay. just a whole bunch of little dialects. Yeah. So Martin Luther kind of picks a dialect and then kind of adds a little bit of flourish to it. And then he presents, after a while, he presents this German Bible, which then the language of that Bible then becomes the standard German oh, wow. for this whole nation. Well, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So even still today, there are places where there is high German, which is proper uh, <clears throat> business German, education German, church German, and there's low German which is the language of the barnyard, the language of the mines, the language of the factories, low German. Mm. So Martin Luther uh, set out to reform the church, mm. to repair some problems, but set off a cultural revolution. But the thing was, Martin Luther wasn't setting out to create a space for diverse expressions of thought. He's not a pluralist, yeah, right? He's not yeah. standing in front of the authorities and saying, "Listen, I just, I just want to share my truth, yeah. <laughs> right?" I, yeah. you know, why, why won't you hear my yeah. truth? He believed that he himself yeah. had the truth, yeah. and those leaders weren't listening yeah. to the truth, not right. his truth, the yeah. truth. Mm -hmm. So, as that relates to Munster, the the movement didn't just stop at religious ideas either. Oh. Because in this 90, even within the list of 95 things that he wanted to debate, there are standards that he raises that the Pope should be living mm -hmm. up to. Yeah. And everybody around him, the common people, aren't professionally obligated and don't feel spiritually obligated to be as respectful of the Pope as, as Martin was. Right. So... Martin's words uh, empower all of these people who are already angry about mm. where their money is going and the corruption of the leaders mm. and all of those things. So they're energized. And uh, a couple of different things happen. You, there are some uh, religious conversations that happen in different places that go in slightly different directions. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are just angry mm -hmm. about the social problems that yeah. are there, the economic problems that yeah. are there. And so these people rise up and there are violent revolts. There's a what they call the Peasants War. Mm -hmm. Happens more in, in southern Germany. Mm -hmm. Munster is in the north. Mm -hmm. And all of that happens in 1525. So when these three guys break into the convent mm -hmm. and they're going to steal... Oh steal back from the church, mm -hmm. in their minds, they're emboldened by Martin Luther. And oh, they're emboldened by the Peasants' War. And the authorities in the city hall, they know there's just a, a powder keg of tensions among the common mm. people. And if they do one thing wrong, it's going to set off a violent revolt in I the north. See. So they're motivated to say, hey, listen, we can work this out. Mm. 
so it seems like it's a lot like it's a weird stretch to say that this little burglary this little <laughs> break-in in munster is connected to a priest mm -hmm. uh, having theological problems mm -hmm. on the other side of the country mm -hmm. uh, but all of these things are connected yeah interesting so that's the story of martin luther and and the peasants war again i could say a whole long list of things yeah. about the peasants war next week we'll talk about some of those other uh rival reformation mm. groups okay. that start up in, in other places mm, interesting so that's the first episode <laughs> thanks for sitting with me thanks for listening and following along uh the free radicals podcast is available on all of the podcasting platforms if you can't find it let me know i'll make sure it's there and you can follow us on facebook on instagram and uh, on our website as well so thanks so much for following along and i hope you'll keep listening thanks bye bye bye